welcome to Wisco Dice. Welcome to Wisco Dice. Okay, so I got the <laughs> in the studio today. We have the Conzy with the most. Yeah, Conzy with the most minis, of course. Uh-huh. I finally broke that sixty-pound threshold. Nice. And we have someone else. I think I hear. Uh, my name is Paul, or otherwise known as PJ Shard or Wisco Dice on Twitter. Blah blah Twitter. Yep, Twitter is the next big thing. It, it, like it, four years ago. Yeah, it, it already was the next big thing, and. It's cool. All the cool kids do it. Nah, well, you know, that would be everybody but me. <laughs> exactly. I have a few tweets, but I can. Unfor- unlike somebody else, I can't sit all day while I'm at work on Twitter, tweeting away all day. I have to do actual work. Wah, wah, wah. Sorry. Sorry. I get to have fun. That's what happens when when I get paid real money. Exactly. Anyway. All right. So, anyways. What are we going to talk about today? Well, I believe we're going to talk about Bugman's, which happened this what last is Bugman's? weekend. Bugman's Brewery? Actually. Bugman's, Bugman's 60 or 6X or whatever you want to call it. Well, I didn't go, but I believe it's called Bugman's Oktoberfest, and I think it was in Lacrosse. Oh, that Bugman's. Isn't that a tournament that you went to? Yeah, I think so. Oh, that's good to know. So Somebody was there, I somebody think. Somebody was there. It wasn't me. And also, we're going to talk about the King of the Monsters. We're going to talk about monster choices in Warhammer. Monsters? Why would we want to talk about monsters? Who puts those on the board? Because monsters are cool. I have four of them in one of my armies. I think you have like three or four in one of your armies, too. I don't have that many in any of my armies currently. Oh. Well, everybody likes monsters. They're cool. They're monsters big. are very cool. They're monsters are lots of fun. centerpiece models as well. Not only do they make centerpiece models, they're part of why you play Warhammer. You can play a number of other historicals out there, but you play Warhammer to play with monsters and magic, and all that kind of silliness. So we're going to talk about monsters. All right, cool. All right, have we actually done anything in the last couple of weeks? As far as the hobby is concerned, I have not. Uh, besides my class. I've that done sounds stuff usual. i that in my class, so no, I haven't gotten anything done. That sounds very usual. How come I'm not surprised? I, I don't know. Cause... You had like a, a small smidgen of burst. We had, a, we had a terrain goal that you succeeded at, and then... Yeah, I, I also worked 11 of the last 14 days, so no excuse. that might have contributed a little bit to why no I excuse. didn't have anything done. Priorities, Paul, priorities. <laughs> the fans expect you to accomplish something. You're going to make the fan angry. The fan will get very upset if you don't accomplish anything for your hobby. He's angry with me anyway, so I'm really not sure. He'll be more I... angry. Oh, okay. So, Ben, did you do anything these last couple months? Weeks? Months? Days? Yeah, months. I You give me a couple months, yeah, sure, I can get something accomplished. <sighs> I did actually get something accomplished, though, in the last couple of weeks. Oh, yeah? What was that? If you've been following the Wisco Dice Facebook feed, mm-hmm. the Facebook page, or my Twitter feed, you will have seen pictures of my Tomb Kings skeletons, my first, my work-in-progress test model, and now I've got a set of four of them that I'm working on, Skeleton Archers, that I've been putting up work-in-progress photos. Wait, wait. Since when do you have Tomb Kings? I bought those two weekends ago. Oh. When I was in Milwaukee talking to Meal. All right. Cool. Which you would have heard if you listened to the last show. Yeah, or, or I was tired and worked a lot in the last 12 days and I didn't get a chance to, but... Oh my God! We can't. I can't even get. You can't even get you to listen to the show. Oh, oh my God! Nonsense. I just didn't have enough time. I just. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. I was out in Milwaukee last weekend and yeah, hung out with the crew down at Game Town. 
Nice. And played a game of Civilization with Meal and lost, of course. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, because the dreaded meal is is the dreaded meal. And if you if you didn't hear, make sure you guys pick up his book, The Lover Boy. You can mm-hmm. pick it up on Amazon.com. It's two dollars and ninety five cents available for your Kindle. You can read it pretty much on any electronic device that's out there. So I'll give him a I'll give him a, a two weeks in a row plug. <laughs> so, but if you want to hear about what it's about, make make sure you catch the last cast episode twenty, of the Terrain Workshop. All right. But while I was there, I picked up a Tomb King Army. It's like three battalions of Tomb Kings plus four of the War Sphinx kits and some other miscellaneous bits, bobs, and assorted sundries. Mm-hmm. So it's a it was a pretty good purchase for the the money, and it was a, a local guy to Milwaukee, so I didn't you know I want to help him out and get, help him get his stuff sold. So I picked it up and started working on it. So I'm now as of recording today, I've basically got the paint done. On five archers, I have to finish basing on the four that I had that I've been showing the works in progress. And as soon as that's done, I'll get the final pictures of those up via our Facebook feed. Next up will be a set of three chariots on the hobby table. But we'll get to setting talking about that when we get more into our hobby goals. I also went ahead and worked on some terrain projects, finished up some of the stuff that I said I had on in the works, particularly the... Uh, the forest bases for mm-hmm. the uh, Lauren Forest Board. I worked on those, and I've gotten them near, fin- either near finished or finished. Uh, started a swamp for that board as well, so it'll be a marsh. And got a little chasm piece that's closing in on finishing up too. So I got a lot of lot of stuff in the works. All right. So hobby is <clears throat> very busy. My my four by eight downstairs is very buried. Yeah. And like I said, I did do some hobby with my class, so I got my armature fir- finally done and ready for putting uh, Super Sculpey on it, and I put the Super Sculpey on this week. Uh, at the moment, it's definitely still in the beginning stages of the sculpture, but I'm really excited about it. Super Sculpey is a material that I've never worked with before, and it's got a really nice consistency to it. It seems to be a little bit more pliable than green stuff, even when green stuff is not hard. Um and it's definitely got a whole lot more elasticity than regular clay would that I've worked with before. So it's kind of a nice in-between material, and I'm really excited to see what I can do with it. All right. So with that being said, have you done anything else? Played games? Chased Martians? <laughs> I have actually played uh, five games in the last couple of weeks as well. We we aren't gonna yeah we're not gonna cover all those all five games of that but I, we definitely got a lot in I, I I would like to mention the one game that we had on Tuesday it was really fun I was playing uh, my night goblins versus lizard men the hero of the match was a single goblin hero on a giant squig who managed to rear charge a unit of scrocks killed five what's a scrock that would be a unit of croxagore and skinks it's okay. a skink cohort with croxagores in it. I charged the rear of it, killed five skinks, broke him, and ran him down with the one squig offer. All right. Well, I mean, that's. I mean, we are playing 1K games in the Escalation exactly. League. That was an Escalation League game. So I don't know that that happens when you're playing a, a normal yeah, point I, size game because then. You've got enough stuff to fill the board. Not to mention you got BSBs and stuff like that, too, that mm-hmm. make a big difference. And that's really what he got. He got bit on a. What was it? A leader seven 
without yep, leader you know, seven leader re-roll. seven with no re-roll yeah so it, it, it was just one of those funny random things that happens and unfortunately robert was on the bad side of it but it was a fun game and i definitely enjoyed it so all right so i mean i do the we got a lot of warhammer going on and i played yeah. a large number of games since we recorded last as well i can't wouldn't be able to tell you how many of them but i've played a large <laughs> number of games so i'm not going to go into recaps on all of that i i do want to say that the the last game i played there the, the you can read all the all of the games that i've played i've put up on the uh, with the tomb kings i've been running a a kind of thread on on the wisco dice forums on mm-hmm. on each of my three games i've played so far and some of my observations uh, the with the list as well as how things kind of went and, and such. So if you wanted to catch out my experiences with the Tomb Kings, go ahead and check that out. I mean, I've personally, after the first loss, which was kind of a disaster, <laughs> miscast, dimensional cascade, bye-bye Hierophant kind of thing, the next two games have been good, strong wins. I think the second game against a player that knew what he was doing a little better, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have won. But this third one... I played against Dustin, and I and I beat him soundly. So I was that was a good win. It was against his his all goblin list mm-hmm. as well. So there was a little bit of that, but all the games have been a lot of fun, and it's a lot. It's because I've never played. I've never played an army that works with a mechanic like the undead. No, no demons, no undead, no vampire counts, no Camry. This is the first time I've ever played with it. So it's a lot different experience putting the army on the board and, and how it functions and works and the crumbling and the sticking and stuff like that. So it's, it, it's added a little extra fun in that perspective mm-hmm. to my games. So not that I'd want to play that kind of army always, but I do love, it's really a, a different way to play. Yeah, certainly I don't, I don't know that I want to, I want to stick to tomb Kings on any kind of level of competitiveness, but mm-hmm. we'll see. I mean, I, I'm two and two and one with them right now. So all at a thousand points and no casket in any of those lists. So we'll see. Yeah. Could be some fun times. I think that's pretty much wraps all the stuff we've done and hobby stuff. Let's go ahead and just give a shout out then to our sponsors as well. All right. The show actually has some of those things. Mm-hmm. So they are great individuals and, and businesses that we love and shop at and use their materials and products all the time, starting with The Last Square. What, what, you can, what can you tell me about The Last Square, Paul? Well, they're located on Aldana Road in Madison, Wisconsin. They have a huge selection of paints. They specialize in miniatures, military miniatures, Warhammer miniatures, railroad miniatures, pretty much anything you can think of. Uh, they have a decent amount of gaming space as well. They just do a great job of making sure that you can do everything you need to with your hobby right at one place. I got to say, the, of course, you got the lastquare.com. You can get your discounts, mm-hmm. any of your Games Workshop product through the lastquare.com's website, Correct. blog, and all that that's there. And the fact that we've opened up the, with the Escalation League there, mm-hmm. and we've went from, I mean, it was bi-weekly Warhammer is what they were running before the Escalation League. Yep. Where we would get, we were lucky if we get two tables, maybe three tables of games going in a night. And now we, the last two weeks, we've had four or five games of t- of of Warhammer being played at the same time. So 
the, the the game is growing there and it and it's played weekly and it's being like that every week, which is very exciting and a lot of fun. And one of the reasons why Paul and I now have as many games as we are exactly. are playing lately. So on top of that, then of course we want to go ahead and talk about Misty Mountain Games and Diversions. Isn't that located on Cottage Grove Road here in Madison? That is right down the street, actually, from Dugan's Delve Studios. All right, cool. I think they have pretty much everything you could imagine for uh, gaming. So you could do Magic, you could do Pokemon, all that kind of stuff. And then they also, of course, have Warhammer and Warhammer 40K. Warhammer, Warhammer 40K, Hordes, War Machine, all the CCGs, it's kind of their specialty. Mm-hmm. The staff there are always friendly, and it's the largest gaming space in, available in Madison right now. So you can go in there and almost always get table space for whatever you want to play. So right. Misty Mountain Games. All right. Also, I think we want to do a shout-out here to Prism Gaming as well. It's not really a shout-out, but we want to make sure they're mentioned because well, yeah. Prism Gaming has a great line of paints as well as their dice towers and other various Wargaming accessories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Prism Gaming. I've been using a lot of their golds on the Tomb Kings. It's a darker copper color, mm-hmm. followed up with their leather wash, followed up with some of that copper color, and then it's a lighter gold. I, I, I'm, I should know what all the names of the colors are <laughs> so that we could actually mention those, but... Their color range, their base paint are really, really, really outstanding. I can't say anything strongly enough about them. Their washes are top-notch, spot-on. I love the washes. I love using them. They're they're the only washes I ever use for anything now. They work. I remember they're like using the old Devlin mud from GW. Uh, that leather wash has just become like a Devlin mud for me. It's amazing. When I made those ogre huts, I used all the Prism Gaming paints on there as well. and It's just worked really, really well. Nice consistency, and they go on. Very nicely. They're a great purchase for the for what they're for what they're asking for for the quantity of paint you get. It's amazingly good value. Yep. There you go. So Prism Gaming. Prismgamer.com. You can go ahead and pick up any of their products from there, and they're right here in. They're based in Wisconsin, so you're helping out a Wisconsin-based company, which is always good. Exactly. And last but not least, we also have the WWHFB. What's the WWHFB? I think it's the Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. Ah, those guys, yeah. Yeah. State's largest and oldest Warhammer Fantasy game club. Mm-hmm. Branches in Lacrosse and Wausau, Green Bay, Milwaukee, Madison, all over the place. Yeah, all over the state. If you're looking for Warhammer, this is the place you want to check out first. Go to the www.wwhfb.com and get all the info you need and hookups and find out where people are actually playing. All right, cool. Awesome models you might have missed. <laughs> All right. What is that? <laughs> that was a very valiant attempt at singing. That wasn't just valiant, that was amazing. <laughs> All right. So this week we're going to talk about Cyborg's Ogres. So Cyborg? That's kind of actually the, the thing to talk about to begin with. Cyborg is from Poland. He sculpts his own miniatures. He so had, Cyborg is a dude? He's a dude. That's about all I know. I've never met him or anything like that. He actually got into a fair amount of flack when he first started actually customizing slash making his own figures because a lot of his stuff is just covered in press molding. So a lot of people thought that... Think, what's, what's press molding? So press molding is basically the idea where you take a mold and you put green stuff in it and you press it in and then peel it out and then put it on the miniature when it's still a little flexible. But you don't actually sculpt the stuff on the... Like, so, for example, 
a Space Marine shoulder pad, you wouldn't sculpt the shoulder pad. You would push green stuff into a press mold, and that would have the detail that you wanted, pull it out and put it on the miniature. If you were being a Puritan about whether or not somebody's sculpting on the miniature, you could say that somebody's kind of cheating because they're using a press mold instead of sculpting their own stuff. Which to me wasn't that big of a deal, but evidently it was a really big deal on Worse Year when it first started happening. There was a lot of bad kind of juju, etc. going around around this guy. And he even actually started opening up his own store located on the web, Cyborg's Miniatures. You can just look it up on Google. You'll definitely find it. He actually has lost a lot of that stigma because he started sculpting a lot of his own miniatures. And he has some very distinctive lines. He's got a Chaos Dwarf line. He's got all different kinds of stuff. But the one we're going to talk about today is he has his line of ogres. And there's not like a full army or anything like that. He's just got four character minis. They seem to be a little bit more of a realistic style than the Games Workshop ogres. Would you agree with that, Ben? Yeah, I think they're very orky. Mm -hmm. They seem to be a little bit more... If you were to actually see an ogre in real life, they would kind of look a little bit more like these than like the GW ones necessarily. The Butcher in particular, the Slaughtermaster Butcher figure that he has on there is just very... Maybe describe it as disturbing. (laughs) As opposed to the Games Workshop Butchers, which are just kind of fat. Yeah, the GW ones are very slothful and mm-hmm. and very kind of men. The, the these are, I don't know. They're there's definitely like I when I was looking at them, I saw there were parts of them that reminded me a lot of like the they're very humanoid looking. Yes. Much more like the GW ones tend to be the the a little more monstrous and a little more cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. And these all had seemed like they were a little more rich humanoid mm-hmm. humanish figured but very the fat parts weren't like oh hey it's puffed up chest muscle no no, no. these were this if is he was fat he was of kind fat. of yeah. sa- saggy fat you know not not the like the gw guys which is like oh hey this guy's got this giant belly but pecs of steel what <laughs> no it doesn't quite make sense definitely check him out he's got more than just ogres on there i personally like his ogres i think they look really nice I don't necessarily think that they fit in with the Games Workshop range of ogres as well, but for character minis, I think they would still work pretty well. I don't think they would stand out too much. So, Ben, do you agree with that? I would use them definitely. In like a, if you were going to use like ogres in your Dogs of War, this would be an awesome source of ogres for for that kind of army. Or you could even look at, I think, swapping them in for some man-eaters, that kind of thing too, because there's a lot of... You're looking for something that looks different I think in those kind of places than the rest of your army. So, all right, well, there you go. That's the uh, awesome models you might have missed for this week. All right, let's go ahead. We'll take a break here. When we come back, we'll go ahead and talk about Bugman's. All right, something <laughs> sounds good. My precious, my precious, your precious what? My precious everything. Yu-Gi-Oh, Warhammer, 40K, War Machine Hordes, everything. Everything? Yeah, it's all at Misty Mountain Games. Really? Correct. Located on Cottage Grove Road. And you know what? I hear they also have the largest gaming space in all of Madison. Don't just hear it. I know they do. All right. And also, you can check them out for board games as well, I hear. Yep, board games. They got pretty much everything. The management and the staff down there are awesome. They can hook you up with whatever you need. If it's not on the shelves, they'll make sure they get it in for you promptly and quickly. All right, well, check them out. Misty Mountain Games on Cottage Grove Road. And, of course, hit their website at Misty Mountain Games. 
Twitter.com. Okay, we is back. We are back. Are you sure? No, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Are you really sure? No. We are why actually you, back. Why do you keep asking me questions? I don't know, because it's almost enjoyable. I, I think you're you're in control right now. I am always in control. I think we're going to talk about Bugmans. Way to change the topic. Yep, that's what I'm good at. All right, yes, we are going to talk about Bugman's Oktoberfest in La Crosse, Wisconsin. 2,200 points with 300 points of allies. Yippers. Or 225 points of allies. I keep getting that messed up. I had it messed up on the list I submitted that they didn't reject. What? I had to actually change my list on the fly as I'm looking at the first round scenario going, oh, whoops, my li- my allies are more points in this. Well, You uh, didn't reject my stuff. And Jared's like, oh, whoops, I thought I caught all that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, it's no big deal. I just take an orc off the board and and a magic banner out of the unit. No big deal. So what was your list then, Ben? Uh, I don't know. I had, <laughs> I, honestly, I don't remember very well. I was playing Dark Elves, though, and my allies were orcs. I took a, a unit of black orcs. Interesting. Which is probably not the best tactical choice I could have taken <laughs> because the allies could have been any number of units in that particular extra points of any yeah point out of that out of that book so, so core special there should rare. have been there should have been some no characters I don't believe you could take just everything else but only one unit no it could be multiple units so you could have taken two doom divers I could have taken two manglers so you could have taken two doom divers and two manglers Probably, except I don't own second Doom Diver. All right. So, but okay. yeah, I could have, I could have, <laughs> I could have definitely taken much better choices for my list instead of taking the big beefy unit of Black Orcs. Okay. Which wasn't even that big. It was like twenty three Black Orcs. Yeah. That's so awesome. it wasn't even that big of a unit. It was, it was sad. <laughs> uh, but the rest of my list, I had an L four Shadow, Sack Dagger. And uh, four up ward. I had a level two lore of fire with a dispel scroll. L a dude on a Pegasus mm-hmm. with the sword of might, pendant of Caleth for the inverse ward, and I think that was pretty much all the gear he had. And then I had I might have put a dragon helm on him if I could have snuck it in there. I don't know. I don't remember if I had that or not. I don't think I did. And then I had a battle standard bearer on foot mm-hmm. with armor of darkness for a one-up armor save that can't be improved and crimson death to give him strength six all the time can't be modified. Nice. Then we had a 47-man unit of spear elves with full command banner of murder for the armor piercing. Mm-hmm. I think that's the armor piercing banner, the dark elf one. An assassin with man bane rune of cain. Mm-hmm. I also then, this is where my level 4 always sits. I then had a unit of 20 repeater crossbows with a banner muso mm-hmm. and shields. I think that was it for my core. I don't. I did, I know I didn't have any harpies or anything else like that, which was kind of annoying. For my special, I took a unit of 19 Blackguard mm-hmm. with full command. I would take 20, but I don't own that 20th model. <laughs> And, and you can't use a unit filler. Yeah, I already have them all painted up and stuff. It was before I w- before unit fillers were becoming kind of common. Uh. So I just never did it. 
and it wouldn't look right to put a unit filler in there just the way they are now. I'd have to do a. I I would feel like I'd have to do something with the basing on the unit to get it right. Okay. What else did I take? Oh yeah, I had seven shades. Yep. I had a hydra, which I'm honestly at this point getting kind of sick of having the hydra in the list. Yeah. He he seems very obligatory and like I have to have him, but. Mm-hmm. I swear putting that thing on the board kind of almost cost me. I feel like he cost me games. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do as much. I don't feel like I mean, he kills things pretty good, mm-hmm. but he doesn't do anything extra to really get me there, to get me to that next. He's not getting me to that next level. I, I think that he could have been just as well served by putting another actual unit on the board mm-hmm. of something. For, 200 po- for 175 points, I can pr- nearly put a unit of 20 Corsairs on the board. Yeah. In my mind, I think 20 Corsairs with a properly placed Mind Razor is better than having the Hydra on the board. Mm-hmm. So, and there's a couple other things. Like, I would have rather have had, I almost, in, in my list, I think I would have rather had another unit of Shades mm-hmm. the heart, and a unit of Harpies or something, or a couple of units of Harpies and the unit of Shades, because I think those would have given me more options. Yeah than having the Hydra on the board. So I, I'm kind of in a... Right now, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong, folks. I understand the Hydra is still really good, but I, I do feel like I in all of the games, I've been playing the Dark Elves since Blood in the Sun, and I feel mm-hmm. like the Hydra is really... He's kind of putting me behind the curveball instead of ahead of the curveball. He doesn't do quite enough for the points that I'm paying for him to do what I need him to do or do what I want him to do. There's enough access to i mean getting access to high strength is just a mind razor away so i'm just putting that mind razor where i critically need it i just don't think i need anything else but that's diversion aside on talking about dark elves and some random thoughts about about hydras bogman's <laughs> round one i play against a gentleman by the name of jacob he's playing high elves a classic high elf dark elf matchup civil war jacob had just gotten his Zyalf army, so I think he, this he said this was like a second or third game with him. Oh, wow. It showed. I mean, I got a big win in this round. Jacob was a ton of fun to play against. We we chatted for a long time. We reflected, because I got a Zyalf army as well, we reflected some of the my thoughts and his thoughts about where he maybe should go or what he should do with the Zyalfs. Do you have any paint on him? Yeah, they were all painted. That's awesome. So third painted. game in and fully painted, that's... That's yeah, definitely an achievement. <laughs> yeah, they were fully painted and stuff. I mean, he he doesn't he's from the lacrosse area, so he wasn't getting a whole lot of games. Mm-hmm. So I got the kind of gist that he'd been working on this project for quite a while. But quite that, a while. That's still pretty cool. It was it was a lot of fun. Uh, the game was a lot of a lot of fun. But yeah, I really kind of dictated the pace, and I I knew what I was wanted to do. He wasn't able to kind of turn the tide or dictate to me. He did he did come push things forward a bit. Which I think hurt him. I thought I thought if he would have stayed back a little bit, that would have his list was a little more shitty. He had like two repeater bull throwers and some archers and yeah, whatever. And he had more defensive shooty elements that would have been that would be effective against dark elves mm-hmm. than I had shooty element shooty elements back. And with shadow magic, there's not a lot of direct damage spells I'm throwing. So I you know I basically in order for me to win the game. I've got to walk the board on him, and he basically set it up so that I had to walk one less round 
by the way he pushed things forward. I did not get, like usual, I did not get the scenario objective bonus. <laughs> um, in this one, there was a spawn in the center of the board. Yeah. And at the beginning of each round, it would scatter 2d6 inches. Mm-hmm. And if it ran into something, it would fight a combat. Well, in this game, it decided to go straight at his sword masters. <laughs> and too bad, too sad. There's no way I can get to it when it got to like 10 inches the opposite direction. Lord knows, I was poised to get it. Yeah. If he would have came my way, I had black orcs going right into him. But yeah, no luck there. It went the wrong way, and I got I lost the objective points. But it was a 17-3 otherwise. So Nice. Round two, I played against Kevin Bruins. Kevin Bruins went on to win this tournament. So to give you a little idea of how this game went, this game was actually really close, though. It was really bloody, really brutal. We Both of us lost a ton of models. Mm -hmm. Um, I played against Kevin a couple of times before. This is the second time I played him with his Beastman. And I... He's a, I mean, he's t- he's a tough opponent. I mean, there's a reason why he won Screw City, and his he his list was really quite tough for me to deal with. He had a uh, Chaos Giant, two of the Gorgons, mm-hmm. and lots of other chaff. Giant unit of Gore, mm-hmm. and uh, chariots, lots of little things, and then the one big unit, and then like the double Gorgon. I can deal with one, and I did. I mean, I threw my Dreadlord into the one. He couldn't hurt my Dread... Or, not my Dreadlord. My Master on Dark Peg into one. Mm-hmm. He couldn't hurt it. The Master finally chewed the thing to death. It took him all game. It took him six turns to do it. But <laughs> I had nothing else on the board I could deal with those. And on the turn that he brought the Gorgon, the Giant, and a Razagor into my Spear Off block... I failed the fear check and then turned around, you know, pop, you know, pop the assassin because I had to to get killed, get damage. Whiffed with the assassin. I didn't get hits. I think I might have got four hits out of like six or seven attacks. So I guess I got hits. Mm -hmm. But then I just couldn't wound. Wounding on threes, I failed the wound. So there's not much you can do there. I broke that one, which even then I was still steadfast on a. I lost my L4 there, too, in that combat. It was just brutal. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, I chewed down his... I killed all of his gore, but failed to get his Beast Lord, and the Beast Lord outran me. Yeah. And that was probably the big difference. Mm-hmm. Because if I would have ran down his, his Beast Lord, there would have been probably enough points there to swing this back to a draw. Mm-hmm. If I would have stuck with my Spear Elves, I might have had a shot to keep those the rest of the game, too. But... As as things were, it was a fun, lot of fun. It was a close game, and there wasn't a lot that I would have done differently in that game, considering. Mm-hmm. Of course, then again, I also didn't get the objective. The objective was to get your allies in the opponent's deployment zone, and since I had a, at least one of your allied units or monsters, well, one, he had a lot of monsters, and I had <laughs> a Hydra. Yeah. And two... My allies were one giant block of black orcs, where his allies were a giant, a chaos mm-hmm. giant of Slanish, and a spawn. <laughs> so I didn't have tools to get rid of all the big griblies, and he was able to get him, get one of them at least in my deployment zone. Fair enough. So no points there for no bonus points for Ben again. Yeah. All right, round three, Tomb Kings. 
All right, this was I was playing against uh, John Stentz, uh, one of the gents that runs the North Star, mm-hmm. and John had a pretty beefy little build. I don't know how standard or whatever. I don't know. I got, I don't even know how how close there is to a standard build of Tomb Kings is really out there. But I mean, there was the obligatory snakes. He had three of the snake knights, the sepulchral mm-hmm. knights. I think that's what they're called. Uh, sepulchral stalkers or the snake. Yeah, the knights. Okay. And then he had two units of forty skeleton warriors mm-hmm. in horde formation. He had no chariots. He had Hyrotitan, mm-hmm. which was death. He had death magic on it. He had a casket. He had a war sphinx. He had two War Sphinx. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I can't think of it. I'm probably missing something else. Oh, and his allies were a unit of three Mornfang. Ah. So I knew, I like, looking at the board, I'm like, okay, I know what to do here against the Mornfang. I just need to get my Blackguard into them. They'll take care of them. Yeah. The rest of it, I'm like, you know, that's a lot of skeletons. And while I can pop a lot of skeletons at once, I don't know how many I can kill without giving up a flank. And at that point... My old Warhammer mentality was kicking in of like, ooh, getting flanked is probably bad here. When in hindsight, I probably should have stuck, dug in, mm-hmm. taken the risk of being flanked. Of course, I was going to get flanked by the knights, the snake knights. Yeah. And that might not have went real well for me because they would be able to make up a bunch of the kills that mm-hmm. he would need. But yeah, it was, yeah, I lost this one too. It was again really close though. Learn lesson learned. I and I, this is my boneheaded move of the tournament. Turn one before I've had a turn. I put up my level two just outside and behind uh, the spear off block. Yep. And then I had the archers, and then the archers to their left, and then I had my shades to the archer to the crossbows out left. Mm-hmm. He caskets six dice, irresistible. <laughs> On the L2, mm-hmm. she dies, Yep, bounces to the crossbows, I lose like four or five of them, bounces mm-hmm. to the shades, I lose all seven of them. <laughs> so I guess the big moral of that one was I should have, one, the shades could have been further away to not be at risk of that. Yeah. And two, the level two should have never been out of a unit. Yeah. So those were my boneheaded moves. And here, here's the guy that I, at that point, I had had my Tomb Kings for a week. <laughs> and I should have had a little better clue what the stuff did. But I was kind of more poking and prodding, prodding John for how do you, what do you think of this? Or how do you, how does this work for you? Mm-hmm. To try to get a better gauge, because he's been playing these Tomb Kings at, uh, at a number of tournaments. So he's got a little better idea of how they actually hold up. And I, I am really happy with how my Tomb Kings are starting to look and take shape and, and looking forward to actually, you know, putting them at a table at a tournament like a Wapaka, where appearance is such a strong score versus winning games. Mm-hmm. But that was that was my bugman. So it ended up being since I I didn't my appearance. We had a really kind of a, a Wisconsin Minnesota almost all star cast of players. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I played against Kevin Bruins and John Stentz. and who, Mike Gerald Kevin, was there. Of yeah, course. Mike Gerald was there. Mm-hmm. Eric uh, Hagen was there as Eric well. Hagen, yep. Johnny Hastings and Joe Rogers from Point Hammered. Mm-hmm. She so had a number of guys that were, yeah, they're kind of the the names in the the area for what they're doing and and how, what they're playing, and it showed a bit to the level of players that I had to play through and, and the 
the fact that the games were my games were all really my other than my first game mm-hmm. where the, my games were really close. I mean, there was it could have went one way or the other a little bit here or there, and it definitely I suffered from my allies being such a honestly a poor choice. I was really regretting mm-hmm. them after even in the first game. I was really regretting taking them. Like, why did I put, choose these? <laughs> why did I tell him I was going to take these? Because with, with this points, I could have put two manglers and something else on the board. Yeah, and and had a much better go than putting this stuff that I put on the board with. Mm-hmm. Anyways, those are kind of the things I got out of Bugman's and and this year. It was still a lot of fun. Turnout was a little short, though, from years past. It was only 12 players. Mm-hmm. No, Of course, the normally the guy that runs it, Chad Hansen, wasn't running it this year because he got married recently and didn't have time to organize it. So we were short a couple of the local guys, I think, because they got pulled into running it this year mm-hmm. and organizing it. But... That's okay. I think uh, next year we'll have another strong turnout again next year, I'm sure. And yeah. Chad should be back at the helm. Kind of an odd week summer this year because we have an honorary point boy and Chad getting married this year. And then the Bear just got married as well. So it was kind of interesting to see all the point boys dressed up in tuxes and looking all spiffy and everything. Yeah. I, I, was, uh, I was like, wow. They they look pretty reasonable, you know. You, sh- you should have heard my wife cackling about that. That was why would you say that? Seeing Johnny in a tux just made her giggle. Johnny looked great in a tux. I thought he looked very respectable. She was she was like ah. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> uh, deep down, I was kind of ah. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I thought you know it looked like they were having a good time. It's like that's like the Conzi being caught in a tux. It ain't gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> unless the tux is a Santa suit. And that might happen. Santa suit, more likely. Talks, ain't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right, let's go ahead. I've talked about Bugwins long enough. Give a quick shout-out to, of course, I, I did mention Kevin Bruins won it. Mm-hmm. Great time. The beer steins that they gave away this year, the kind of more of a pub glass this year. Jared Horseman did the uh, airbrushing on them himself, so they, they nice. were really sharp, really well done. That was a big plus. All right. Venue and terrain were always really good. Yeah, and it's a nice little venue there up so, on the third floor, right? For for being in lacrosse, mm-hmm. the town of bars, yeah, yeah, it was really good. <laughs> so, all right, so we'll go ahead and take a break here. When we come back, we'll go ahead and talk about other stuff. All right, sounds good. What what what's that place? The last the last circle, the the last triangle. No wait, the last square. That's what it is. The last square located on O'Dana Road. Have you been there? Yeah. Yeah, they have a huge selection of miniatures. Everything from 5 millimeter scale all the way up to 25, 28, everything you could imagine. Yeah, it's the basically the war game store of Madison, Wisconsin. With every wargaming need, you can just about imagine or think you wanted and a lot of things you didn't even know you wanted. Exactly. They also have model railroads and rockets. All sorts of good stuff for the geek in ya. All right. And if you can't get to the square... You can always check them out on their website, thelastsquare.com. Exactly. Oh, we're back. <laughs> yes, we are indeed back, sir. Once again, my friends, we are back and ready for more big monster action. 
And I'm going to start off talking about my favorite big monster, which, as you might have known, is the Chaos War Mammoth. There's actually been several sets of rules that have been put out for the Chaos War Mammoth. The first set of rules were okay. Probably the best part about them was simply that they allowed you to determine which of the, like, uber attacks you wanted to do each turn. So if you just wanted to be able to take out a, a unit of infantry, there was an attack that allowed you to do that relatively well. If you wanted to win combat, there was an attack that allowed you to do that as well. Uh, and if there was a large, say, a stegodon or something like that, there was an attack that allowed you to do that as well. So you didn't have a whole lot of variety for the attacks that you did, and it was all random, but you were allowed to choose which one you wanted to fight for each round. And so it made the mammoth not necessarily a great value, but you could put a could put a unit on top of a unit of marauders on top of it and all this kind of stuff. So it it was fun. It probably wasn't worth quite its points value, but it was competitive and it was enjoyable to field in the game. And then Storm of Magic came out and they included rules for the Chaos War Mammoth. And they took away your ability to choose which attack you wanted and they gave you random attacks instead. Which, in my opinion, definitely hurt the um, effectiveness of it a bit. But it went from 600 points down to 500 points. And then it also gained this largest of monsters rule, which allows it to thunderstomp anything that doesn't have the largest of monsters rule. And the only other unit in the game that has it is the Chaos Bone Grinder Giant. Okay, you have to roll on the chart and it won't be that big of a deal. However, you'll also get D6 strength 10 attacks on anything. Monsters infantry, other monsters, it doesn't matter. That worked pretty pretty well and it made it relatively reliable in combat because you've got d6 strength 10 attacks plus its normal attacks so i was pretty excited about being able to field the mammoth and i actually fielded it and against ben in the first game we played a storm of magic the only oh, game we've played in storm that of magic. was horrible i think you had all 2,000 points of your dark elves in base-to-base contact yeah that was a three 3k game weren't we playing yeah and yeah i hit that thing with two hydras mm-hmm. a unit of Cold One Nights. Correct. I think a Chariot or something else in there. Yeah. There was a big chunk of, of all of my killy of my army mm-hmm. and did nothing. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't think I did any damage and I lost it all. Yeah, I think I killed 10 of the Cold One Knights. Well, out of the 12 or something like that. I thought I only had 5 or something like that, but maybe it was a bigger unit. I, d- I know I did something like 10 wounds total. And so you were testing on combat at twos for everything, or testing your break tests. So so obviously that's pretty devastating. But for 500 points, if you don't engage it in combat, you're easily able to kill it. It's only leadership five. It doesn't have stubborn or anything else like that. It doesn't have immune to psychology. So I was pretty excited to be able to field this. And then they came out with the Tomricon rules, and I'm like, sweet, this is going to be great. But in Tomricon, they kept everything the same, except it went from 500 points to 550 points. And then they allow you to put a War Shrine on it for 100 points, or you can put a Howda on it, but you can no longer put characters in the Howda, as you could in the Trial Rules. For 100 points, you get to put a War Shrine on it, and then for another 40, 30, or 50 points, you can mark that War Shrine. And if you mark it with Zinch, so the total cost of the model is 690 points, then you get a 4-plus Ward save on the War Shrine and a 4-plus Ward save on the Mammoth, which is great because it doesn't have a save at all. However, they took away the largest of monsters, Thunderstomp Rule. And I have to say, after playing with it a couple games and reading through the rules, it seems like that was unfortunately simply an oversight. Because in Storm of Magic, it specifically lists where the stomp attacks go and when you're attacking what. 
But for the mammoth, in Fort in Tomarcon, it says attacking swarms, infantry, cavalry, or war beasts. You can't thunder stomp cavalry. However, one of the results that you can roll is stomp. The mammoth does not make a normal attack this turn, but its thunder stomp attack causes d6 hits. 46 hits, excuse me. So in effect, what they've done is when you're fighting against cavalry, if you roll this result, the mammoth simply does not attack for the entire round of combat. In my opinion, that's simply an oversight to not include that rule. However, regardless of the fact that the rules are kind of annoying and it really doesn't do anything, being able to see the mammoth on the table, I think, is really what this segment is kind of going to be about. Being able to see that centerpiece model that really just like embodies the Warhammer fantasy aspect of playing a fantasy game is really what I enjoy playing games of Warhammer for. The Mammoth is one of those things that if you're going to be suckered into dropping the $500 or whatever it is mm-hmm. US to, to buy the thing, that it should perform on the table and... It's kind of like, eh, in, in, in the Tamarcon version, it definitely is kind of one of those, meh, I don't know if I ever want to feel that. The Storm of Magic <laughs> one was like, Brutal. oh my god, this is ridiculous, right up until the Pit of Shades. Yeah, <laughs> when it went away. <laughs> Gone. Yeah, it's Initiative 1, too, so it's not like it can't be dealt with. But so Yeah, no, I mean, it, everything that kills Initiative stuff kills mm-hmm. it. So Purple Suns, Pit of Shades, mm-hmm. they all just nuke it in a hurry. But I tell you... Spent about $500 on this between Christmas slash my own money. I got the Mammoth, and that's when I started playing Warhammer again. I got that Mammoth, and I was just like, man, this model is too gorgeous for me not to have an army around it. And I themed an entire army around the Mammoth itself. And that made me paint my first army in, I think, five or six years. So especially for me, models like this really inspire me to create and to paint armies and the ideas that come around from theming and around it really helps me to enjoy having it and enjoy the conversion process the assembly process the painting everything that goes with it so ben has there been a monster that really has made you feel that way about an army i don't know that i've ever run into that with a a single monster Mm -hmm. grabbed and made me want to field an army or play an army but I gotta say, like right now, I'm playing the Tomb Kings, and that's mm-hmm. a very that's like the first army I've ever really I've I've done some Dark Elves lists that were more monster heavy, where I might have put a dragon and a mana core and a hydra or two on the board, mm-hmm. just for kind of let's let's see what happens. But this list is really right now that I'm playing and I'm building towards for a two thousand point list is really a lot of. The first army I've like I built and I'm going to commit to kind of probably playing for a while with a lot of monsters, with three or four war sphinxes on the board, mm-hmm. with the big snake riders, and I'm I, I am I'm actually really excited and motivated from a painting perspective to work on all of these huge models and these huge kit and see what I can do conversion wise to individualize each model. So there is a lot of like. This is one of the one of the first projects I'm taking on that's going to be like that. Like I said, I, I played Dark Elves, and Dark Elves are they were the you know they were and are the monster army and have been for years. Mm-hmm. So I've had kind of that luxury with them. But before that, like jumping into fantasy for me has always been about more of the Tolkien type fantasy type games where I'm translating. Oh, hey, these here's these epic characters and these epic armies going up against each other. But the monsters definitely play into that. I mean, it was it's de- there's definitely a need in, in 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 those settings for dragons and giants and such. 
Um, one of the other selections that I'd really like to talk about is the Emperor Dragons and the Storm of Chaos. They are basically just huge character models. So you can have them as just simply this big dragon, 690 points, or you can make them level 4. In my mind, it, you know, it, it's, there aren't, they aren't characters. You can't make them your general. But they're just this epic model that really seem, can, again, you could theme an entire army around something like that. You know, the Great Emperor Fire Dragon that Forge World makes, that kind of a thing. It really just kind of sparks the imagination about where this creature came from what point it has in your army, how it's going to drive the theme around your army, just that kind of an idea. And I, I really like that aspect of it. The Emperor Dragons in specific, they've really themed them around five different types of Emperor Dragons, and they each have their own specific lore. Uh, their leadership 10, have eight attacks, etc. And they just they add a whole, whole different view on games of Warhammer, in my mind, when you see them on the table, when you play them in games. Certainly when you're putting a model on the board that's as big as as any of the Forge World, mo- the big, big Forge World monsters, mm-hmm. the mammoth, the dragons, there is a whole level of, like, because this model becomes so much more, it's, it's such a bigger elevated level of your army mm-hmm. that it, it definitely becomes not only the center point, but the whole story behind why you're playing the game or the Warhammer battle that you're about to play kind of mm-hmm. revolves around this guy. Oh, this is this great dragon from this cave, and he's been ruling the north here, these Northlands for a while, and and has amassed this warhorse now that he uses. So he's driving. But one of the other things, a couple of the monsters we've already talked about, part of being the kings of monsters here is that these things are, we're talking points values that you don't see in your normal games either. These are, no. you know, when we're talking five, 600 points, you're talking at least 3,000 points. In in reality, probably four or five before you're comfortably fitting these into lists and not dramatically, like, winning and losing games because you managed to put it in there and you lost it or something. Mm-hmm. They're definitely monsters that become, that take that, that game of Warhammer, and instead of just playing a bigger game of Warhammer that's just the same game with more stuff, you're making it a bigger game of Warhammer mm-hmm. by putting these big creatures on the board. And that really adds, I think, that extra spark that makes that big game of Warhammer, it goes from, oh, yeah, we're just playing Warhammer, and it's basically the same stuff, but... More of it. Just more of it. <laughs> Covering to, more of the field. Wow, this is this game now has a different feeling, and when both players adopt that and build that into their lists and do that kind of thing, yeah, that changes up the game a lot and makes the game it it gives a new spark and a new story and a new feel behind that game. Mm-hmm. So, what other I mean, what other monsters are out there from the Forge World lines, or I mean, because it's kind of a a Forge World monster type talk that might fit into this category of like massive Uber models that they have for fantasy. Well, I think one of the next obvious ones would the Magma Dragon, which is out of Monstrous Arcana. Kind of fits in with our Great Emperor Fire Dragon, you know, basic idea. It's got a couple of different rules, but it's one that they just released. The Colossal Squig, of course, is going to be another one. They've released that one recently as well. The rules are in Tomarcon and also in Monstrous Arcana. The rules for it are pretty crappy, (laughs) if I'm honest, for how big of a model it is, but it, I really like the model itself. I think it looks really, really cool. And if I were going to be building a Night Goblin list, I'd be tempted to buy that and use that as a Night Goblin Arachnorok. 
I think that would look pretty cool on the table. And it would really just add kind of a new degree of interestingness to the, on a standard Night Goblin list. You could also go with the Idol of Gork or Mork that they've released as well. Ben, have you seen that one? Yes, the giant stone thing. Correct. Yeah, I saw that. And that the, again, those add just an, a level of epicness to your standard battles that is just really cool. I was on, I was looking at uh, the Warhammer World Facebook page, and they had a battle for Carrick Eight Peaks. They had a mega battle, and they had a cool picture of two idols of Gork facing off against each other. The battlefield itself just had its amazing terrain anyway. I, I mean, you go to Fort, you go to Warhammer World, you see that stuff. It's just, it looks amazing. You really. Those tables embody the Warhammer universe, and anything that you're, any models that you're playing over those tables, really just have help to add this evocative feel. But you see these Forge World models, like they had a, a magma dragon, they had idols of Gork. You, you know, you see these huge, beautifully painted, converted, loving, you know, lovingly finished models playing in these huge games, and it just adds this whole level of story, and just. It, it looks wonderful, I, in my opinion. It, it just really adds a whole lot to the experience of gaming itself. Right. Well, I guess uh, while we're on the topic of big bad boy mm-hmm. Forge World monsters, let's go ahead. we got to keep in mind the one that you actually do see in our smaller games every day, and that's going to be at events where cast dwarves and such are, are allowed. Mm-hmm. You're seeing Kadai Destroyers. Correct. They're, they're nearly in every single list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know any reason why that might be? Well, probably because they're just really good. The, <laughs> yeah, I mean the big thing then they and they at least fact it so you're able to. But it was at one point when they first came out with it that if you were at was it strength three you just couldn't wound it. Period, which yeah. is really out of character for for eighth edition Warhammer. Yeah, it was the only model in the game that couldn't be wounded. So they, I mean, they changed it up to now if you successfully hit it, I believe. Mm-hmm. You have to re-roll your successful hits or something that's like correct. that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's pretty rough in in the speaking. And then when you turn around and manage to hit it mm-hmm. and wound it, it still gets a four-up ward. And if that happened to be a flaming attack, like you took your flaming banner, well, that's a two-up ward on that thing. That's yep. It's not taking damage. It's unbreakable, so it's mm-hmm. not going anywhere. So it epitomizes this cornerstone cliche when you think of large monsters in the game this thing does pretty much everything you'd want a large giant beast of a monster to do which Mm -hmm. is get into combat lock up and just grind and kill and bodies flying everywhere exactly and that's i mean it does that so exceptionally well that it you know versus other monsters that we're we're used to i mean we're used to seeing things like hydras and Mm -hmm. we're used to seeing I don't know what other monsters you used to seeing on the board. Oh, stegodons, I mean, stegodons, mm-hmm, occasionally yep. some mm-hmm. dragons, whatever. Those monsters they don't have built-in things like stubborn, whatever. Yeah, sure they can tear it up with the best of them. Yeah, but they lose combat by a couple, and next thing you know, they're turning tail and running. Yeah, and that's just not going to happen. <laughs> no, a Kadai is one of those. That's one of the few monsters that just locks up and go. You either kill it or it kills you. Mm-hmm. So. And of course, uh, it's also interesting because they don't even have a model finished for the Kadai Destroyer at this point either. So, you just see a lot of conversions for these guys, uh, which look really, really cool. And well, that, you see lots of conversions for Chaos Dwarfs, period, because almost mm-hmm. no one out there has a Forge World Chaos Dwarf army. Yeah, that's true as well. It wasn't necessarily one of the things you were thinking about, but they have a couple of 
Forge World models as well. Uh, they have the elemental of the lore of beasts, and then they also have the elemental of the lore of fire, or Akshi as they call it, that Forge World produces, which to me, those above and beyond any of the other models that I've seen really embody a story and a theme for an army that they're going to be fielded in. They really, they're far more humanoid than any of the other monsters that they have available. And they really seem to be having this scale of giants far more than necessarily the Warhammer giant. The Warhammer giant seems kind of stupid and oafish. These seem just like wise or feral. They really have a much more defined character than than uh, the Games Workshop larger models do in my mind. Well, I, I think some of the Games Workshop big models, like the you look at the, the, the most recent release for the Black Dragon for the Dark Elves, mm-hmm. a couple of other of the monsters... Not, they don't come to mind because otherwise I'd be mentioning them, but <laughs> there are a couple other monsters I think that have come out recently. The Arachnorock would be another yes. one that is that I think they're they're getting to this on par. Like there's a lot of character and and feel to that monster. You see it every day and in such qu- large quantity too that it's kind of like eh. Uh, it's another Arachnorock. It's another Arachnorock. <laughs> it's another. Well, like, in, in your case, yeah. I only have to look at Paul's Forest Goblin army once, and I'm like, oh, it's another Arachnorock. <laughs> But no, it's it's really just like I guess people are going to say the same thing about me when I when they see three or four war sphinxes. Yeah, on the board, oh, it's another it's war a, sphinx. It's another one of those. But how many armies put put character models in those war sphinxes? Not too many. How many models put character models on their Arachnorocks? Not too many. Eh, not too many people put Arachnorocks on the board. Yeah, period. Too. So just keep it on the uh, Forge, uh, Forge World theme here. I mean, we got. I mean, I'm just kind of clicking through and looking at some of the Forge World stuff, monsters that are out there. And mm-hmm. I am falling deeply in love with this Warpfire Dragon. Oh, that yeah. That thing is spot-on gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty much convinced now that I have to buy this thing. <laughs> what army are you going to use it for? I think I would use this for a Warrior's Army. Okay. I think I would probably use it in the Warrior's Army as a, an actual cast dragon. Because it's because it's kind of the the one thing that the Warfire Dragon has that it I mean it doesn't fit well with the other armies is the face is a little like the multiple eye kind of looking thing the not well it's just it's not it's one eye but the nostrils way back mm-hmm. not a little bit less of a traditional dragon looking head yeah but the pose is great I love that I love the basilisk I mean that's another one that's oh, yeah. just great. Yeah, Mike Ballard got one of those. I'm going to have to hit him up to see that next time I see him because that looks like a gorgeous model as well. like the Carmine Dragon as well. That's a really good dragon. Of mm-hmm. course, I've always... That's, I guess that is one of the things. You I like the dragons, love huh? dragons. I mean, <laughs> that's one of the things that drew me to Dark Elves. It's, mm-hmm. They have dragons. Well, there is a rumor that there will be flying chariots in the High Elf book. Yeah, but those are High Elves. They're, they're pink. But what if they have dragons? They have bunny slippers. Well, yours If I had giant flying bunnies, then yeah, they'd be great. Okay. So let's go back onto the Forge World stuff. That seems a little bit more reasonable. (laughs) I thought giant flying pink bunnies would be awesome. Uh, I I understand that. Okay. Now, my high elves are being done in pink because I do feel that the only proper color for a high elf is pink. But to take that a step further, I'm doing them... This time around, I've, I've done the Pink High Elves before, but this time around I'm doing them with the Breast Cancer Awareness logos on the bands of the archers, and I'm going to do like 80 mm-hmm. archers or so that have bunny slippers, and so they look like they're you know in their pajamas to begin with, and I've just kind of emphasized that point. Yeah. 
So there is there is a method and theme behind my madness, and the whole idea is that it will be a breast cancer awareness army when it's complete. Yeah, which would be cool. Mocking high that. elves because high elves because deserve to why be mocked. would you not exactly? And actually, kind of to dig back into the annals of White Dwarf, etc. Way back when they released rules for War of the Beard, you were able to actually feel dragon riders, units of dragon princes, which were high elf princes on dragons, and you could feel the units of one to three as a rare choice. And I I miss that kind of aspect uh, that they had. I always thought that would be an amazing army to be able to do. Just have seven or eight dragons. I don't even care if they're really all that effective. Just be able to fit seven or eight dragons in an army. It would just look so cool to have flights of three dragons flying around the board together. Well, I don't think you'll see full-on dragons for any unit selection in the mm-hmm. High Elf book. So I think you can get that dream out of out of your head. But I think I think having some kind of flying dragon-like lizard mm-hmm. that could go on a on a like a chariot base mm-hmm. is certainly plausible for the High Elves. But you got you got to keep in mind that whatever that mo- those models would be, they'd have to be able to be put into like the same kind of box that you buy other similar heavy cav options yeah. for monstrous cav options for and they would have to fit into that monstrous cav kind of look so mm-hmm. i don't think you'll see like full-on full-blown dragons but you could see something similar to that like a, yeah. a smaller a mini dragon a drake maybe or something Some, like that. something like that i think something mm-hmm. along the side along those size not but, not something that'll be because if you if all of a sudden you had a unit that's like full-blown dragon well what do you put your character model on then the yeah. character models already on this giant dragon that they're I, you, and you know they're not going to re-release the high elf dragon so you can't make it more grandiose than what should be the centerpiece model for your army so you've mm-hmm. gotta they'll find ways to i'm sure they'll i'm sure there'll be something like that but i i i would think they would find ways to in the manu to manufacture a model that fits that you know, I've built my Warriors of Chaos army around the Chaos War Mammoth, but I've built several other armies around monsters as well. My original Lizards list was the Southlands Lizards list, and then when the 7th edition book came out, I bought two more Stegadons, so I had a four Stegadon list. And that was really, really fun. With 7th edition, you had all four characters on Stegadons, and then you just ran around units of shooting skinks, etc., and I really enjoyed that list. It was well overpowered at the end of 7th edition because you could break entire units with one, or you know, and if you get all four of them into anything, it would just go away. But I really like that aspect of it. I enjoyed being able to field four or five large monsters. And my Arachnorok list is also the same. I mean, I want to field three Arachnoroks on the board at the same time. It seems to just fit the fantasy feel more. And it looks intimidating, in my opinion, when you're sitting across the table from that many monsters. Oh, yeah. I, listen, I played against Kevin Bruins at Bugman's, <laughs> and that double Gorgon list, well, yeah, they're Gorgons. Yep, no armor. I'll get, I'll get no you. Save. Gorgon is not, a, a single Gorgon is not the greatest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. It's tough if it can get there. Yeah. And if especially if it can get the right matchup, it can be ridiculously strong. Mm-hmm. But for the points points per model that you're paying for it and the points per wound and what you're getting out of it, yeah, it probably isn't the best selection that you can take. But when you put two of them on the board with a ton of other little chaff things that are also really strong, so it's, it's a press for an army to have something to take both of those down. And I saw firsthand. I could take deal with one, mm-hmm. but 
between not quite getting the right spells off or him passing initiative checks when he did get when I do get pits on him, I just I couldn't get the second one. It got to combat and it tore me up terrible. Yep. It did what it should do. All you have to do with those monsters is just get them into combat. And that's really the problem with 8th edition. How do you get your monsters into combat? But, well, it's not just how, getting them into combat. you got to get the right matchups a lot of time for the monster. Mm-hmm. We were talking about the Hydra a bit earlier. And the Hydra, yeah, it's amazing on the first turn of combat. Mm-hmm. When I can go in and I've got the, the hatred attacks with it, plus breath weapon, plus thunder stomp on an infantry unit that's toughness 3 or even toughness 4 with light armor. Mm-hmm. I leave a massive mark. But after that, the monster has an immensely huge diminishing return for me, the Hydra does, Mm -hmm. because I lose the hatred. Yeah, sure, I have seven attacks, and yeah, sure, their weapon skill four, and yeah, sure, their strength five. But when I'm swinging against weapon skill four, it's three and a half hits. Yep. And one to two wounds, and then I thunderstomp for another one to two wounds. Well, what's... If they get no damage on me and I get the bad end of that, I've got three wounds of damage. Mm-hmm. They're 150 or 200 points worth of models left, just saying if it's close to even at that point. It's got three ranks and a banner. That's four res. Well, if they got a muso, all of a sudden they win. I'm leader eight at a minus one. That's 50-50. I'm going to break. Yep. That's not good odds. So, I mean... Things like that, Hydra and stuff, yeah. I need, yeah, do you need to support them with other stuff? Yeah, and do you need to... Are they still amazing? Yeah. Are all monsters can be really good and really devastating? Sure. Mm-hmm. The challenge with, I mean, the difference between people going, oh, wow, the Hydra's amazing, and oh, wow, the Gorgon stinks, is the fact that the Gorgon doesn't have any kind of armor or ward save. Mm-hmm. If for 275, if that Gorgon had a, a ward save on him yep. or an armor save on him, People would be going, you know, like a four-up armor save. People would probably be saying, yeah, the Gorgon's pretty rough. It's pretty tough for its points. Mm-hmm. When they, and then when they, I'm sure they would also then try to compare the thing to the Hydra and go, well, it's the Hydra is too, too cheap, whatever. I mean, in my opinion, I think monsters need to come down significantly in points around the core. But you're looking at, you're look, you are also comparing points for monsters in books that did, weren't written for this edition in mind. So. Mm-hmm. I think we have to mention at least one more monster out of Storm of Magic, and that would be the Cockatrice. Oh, I hate that thing. Uh, it's one of those models that you can put that model on the board, and it changes. It, it forces your opponent to react to it. It has Sniper and Heroic Killing Blow on its shooting attack. I don't know if it forces you. I mean... it. it you're right. It, it shouldn't... A, single, a good player probably a won't be forced into changing single it. single shot Killing Blow is one of those kind of things. I mean, there's not anything I can do about it to counter it. It's just going to happen. Yeah. You're either going to get lucky and get that roll or you're not. Mm-hmm. And most of the time it's what strength too, so most of the time yep. you're not even going to get the you're not going to get a you know, successful to wound roll with it. So mm-hmm. it's it's a big gamble and I don't I don't know if it's enough to make me change how I play, but it certainly can be a quick equalizer if you remember from the Invasion Kenosha show where mm-hmm. it took out took down my unkillable dreadlord <laughs> who was on a cold one at that in that game. Yeah. And running around by himself and yeah, I didn't let the cockatrice intimidate me, but my opponent rolled what he needed to and the next thing I knew, unkillable dreadlord off the board. Yep. I enjoy that aspect of the monsters too. Sometimes they bring something to the table that no other unit really does. And even in a more mundane example, 
the witch hunter being able to do killing blow and sniper on a specific character to me really i i enjoy i love those kind of one trick ponies <laughs> well i love the flavor that that adds like a witch hunter adds to mm-hmm. an army as well but would I ever field him in a normal, like, I'm just building a list and fielding him in a normal, like, I want to play to just win this game? No. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel that guy. Same with the cockatrice. It's, eh, probably not going to feel that thing in a game where it's, yeah, I really want to win, but it'll, I'll feel, I would feel it if I was just playing, you know, playing for fun games, like mm-hmm. campaign that me and Dustin have going on, the little three round ladder campaign that we're doing. And then I think we have to cover one more category of monster, at least before we end, which would be monstrous characters. So, for example, the Vermin Lord, Crater Demons, those well, kind of monsters. We got the king of the monsters there as far as monster riders and Tamar Khan himself. Well, that's true. You're right. I mean, that guy, I mean, we, we keep going back. I mean, kind of, I think, part of the, the main part of this discussion has been talking about Forge World monsters mm-hmm. in particular. Yeah, we're talking mostly monsters that appeared in the Tamarcon book and in Storm of Magic, and a lot of those are Forge World monsters. Mm-hmm. But Tamarcon himself is just uh, an amazing beast of a a character and monster. Mm-hmm. What I mean, what does he do exactly as far as... I mean, the model looks pretty cool, but what does he do from a character perspective or a mon- that monster character perspective? I mean... First word, I mean, you got the Tamarcon book there, so you can take a look. I mean, what does he come in at points-wise just to begin with? I mean, what kind of size game are we looking to put him in? I thought you could fit him into a 3K, but I don't think you could if you put him on the on his Toad Dragon. Tamarcon actually can only be fit in uh, at 645 points. This is cheapest, and that's in his Warriors of Chaos body. Or if you want to figure him an ogre tyrant body, he comes in at 835 points. Pretty monstrous, but still not as big a monster as he can be. Yeah, uh, well, that it always that also includes uh, his toad dragon. You can't feel him without his toad dragon. He has, regardless of form, will of the gods, eye of the gods, mark of Nurgle, unbreakable, fear, feast of the maggot lord, the possession attack, the possessed, and Nurgle's favored son. Then Bubalos has large targets, scaly skin, 3+, terror, immune psychology, unspeakable foulness, tongue lash, colossal beast, and mark of Nurgle. And then the equipment changes based on whether or not you have him as the chaos warrior or the tyrant himself. He's a gorgeous model, number one. Very, very nice sculpt. Yeah, the thing is just huge, massive. I mean, it's very Nurgly. Mm-hmm. Just this massive, slothy lizard with this giant, dead-looking dude on the top of it. It it's an impressively terrifying model, mm-hmm. and then you turn around and it's what was it six forty five or something like that yep. for, for the Cast Lord version? Correct. So you're looking at what would that be? It's three K, isn't it? Minimum yep. you can put them in. Mm-hmm. In reality, that's all of your Lord choice and no L four wizard. Yep. So in reality, you're probably this is another one of those big uber monsters that you really probably don't see on the board until you get to four or five K. Mm-hmm. And at which point, all of a sudden, not only does he make sense, because, I mean, when you read the Tamarcon story through the, that through that book, mm-hmm. it's all about this just huge, massive army he's put together. Correct. So it should be this huge, massive 5, 6K worth of army on the board. But then when you 
you put him on the board, and like you got your normal Warriors of Chaos collection, and everybody, I mean, everybody's Warhammer collection. You might build the 2K armies or 2,400 point armies, depending on like what your level of tournaments. But usually, everything you end up buying enough stuff for an extra few hundred points. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I've got like my 3,000 points worth of stuff, maybe th- maybe 3,500 points worth of stuff laying around of all the stuff I have for Warriors of Chaos. Mm-hmm. I buy this guy. He gives me that points injection, the 4,000, mm-hmm. just by himself and adds this whole new element of gameplay and makes these big games. I can start playing these big games about now I'm playing Tamarcon and what it was like to fight against him and reenact some of these battles that are told about in that in the Throne of Chaos and the Tamarcon, that Forge World book. So I think that really does, all of a sudden, it takes what you're doing and what your collection of models is and takes it right to that next level. Like I, like this guy, when I'm thinking Nurgle Warriors of Chaos type armies, the next thing I think of is Robert Elmer and his... Mm-hmm. Nurgly Chaos Army. I mean, I got a Nurgle Chaos Army too, but mine's not finished painted or anything like that. His is. I could see Elmer, like, he's got probably 3K worth or a little more of Warriors of Chaos done up. I could see Elmer getting this guy and going, and all of a sudden being able to go, yeah, now I, now I can feel this 5,000 point game, and it's just like playing one of those battles. And you can. I mean, that adds, I think, an extra dimension, not only to your game mm-hmm. by picking this model up, but an extra dimension to the whole look. And just like you said with your War Mammoth, you get a guy like this, or you get a, you get the Mammoth, you could, even if you're not fielding it in your games, you can build your army around it, or you can paint up your army in a in a theme that fits it around it, and add it, include it, and find ways to include it in display boards and in mm-hmm. whatever, so that you can continue to get value out of that figure, even though you're not playing with it in those games. Mm-hmm. I think probably my favorite thing about Tom Rickon himself is the possession rule that he has. So if Tom Rickon is ever slain, you roll a d6, and the model who slain him rolls a d6. If your weapon skill plus that d6 roll beats your opponent's weapon skill plus d6 roll... The opponent's model is slain outright, and you take possession of the model, which is just, I mean, like, when you're talking about adding character into these battles, that to me really just, it's just one of those. It fits what he does in the book. Exactly. It really just fits the storyline of making these games more epic. And then, of course, we also missed more monsters from Forge World, the Forge World Greater Demons, which are just, you know, seven, eight inches tall. Again, they're uh, they're massive. Yeah, those are beautiful models. In particular, I know Ben Curry from Bad Dice has talked about how if he was ever going to be doing a slanish list for Demons of Chaos, he would definitely feel the Greater Demon. However, he would never buy the one from Games Workshop. That one's probably been around since I think '96 or so. That Greater Demon. Yeah. No, the the Greater Demons I thought were something done much more recently. I don't know. I think some of them have been redone, but I don't remember. But anyway, I don't really think that the Greater Demon of Slanesh really kind of fits the current design of the Slanesh list uh, and the models yeah, that are released at the moment. That's probably... I mean, this fits the, the previous run Daemonettes, which were probably 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. And he said that he would buy the Forge World Greater Demon of Slanesh instead. And I have to agree that would be a much prettier centerpiece model. And then, of course, they also have the big Papa Nurgle and the huge Bloodthirster and, of course, the the greater demon of Zinch. 
as well. They really just add a nice height to the battles with those armies. Yeah, I really like the the Bloodthirster in particular. Is mm-hmm. really really sharp. He's just just massively muscly and and the whip coming out on him, going into units and the giant axe. I just can't see how that guy isn't just going to be a bad arse and tear things up. Exactly. Uh, yeah, he's the, I, I, of the four. I'm most impressed with the Bloodthirster. I like him the best. Mm-hmm. The, I think the Keeper of Secrets is probably the next my next favorite. Rules wise, I love I love the Bloodthirster. I love I love using Lord. Of, I would love to use a uh, Lord of Change. I don't know if I care for the Forge World Lord of Change though. Yeah, it's it's. I think a little... I like the the Games Workshop one a little better in that respect. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the Great Unclean one, yeah, he is foul. Yeah, he takes he takes Papa Nurgle to an all new level of foulness. Mm-hmm. I guess at the end of the day, like we've been saying throughout the whole thing, it's really just there's a whole lot of story in these models that really adds a lot to your games of Warhammer. I think the big thing is that with all of these models is that they add there are models that you can go out and pick up. Mm-hmm. And they can add a new dimension to your game without having to do like massive conversions mm-hmm. or massive changes to the model because people don't see these guys very often on the table. So all of a sudden when they do see them, they're like, oh, that looks cool, and, I, and they want to see it. I mean, you, you don't even have to be an epically good artist or painter to make these Forge World models get attention, and that's big at you know, any kind of Warhammer event or mm-hmm. tournament or pickup game when you're at the store. If you know, if you're you're wanting to people to catch people's eyes with your work. Mm-hmm. I think most of us are. I mean, I think everybody that's that's into wargaming, we're into it for the visuals perspective and we all really love it when somebody takes notice of our stuff and these guys kinda help get you to that next these are all models and all monsters that you can not only do they they add things to your, to your game personally, but they get you recognition and notice from your peers because you included them or found ways to add them to your hobby and, and play. I mean, I will always remember Paul as the guy who's got the mammoth, mm-hmm. even though there might there's lots of other guys, and I've known other guys that have had the, the Chaos Mammoth. Paul is the guy with the mammoth because he was the first person I knew that had it, and he tries to regularly field it, mm-hmm. even as bad as Stompy kind of is with <laughs> exactly. in, in certain rules. Also, just adds a a specialness to being able to play with him as well, it, because he is so many points. When I do get to pull him out and play a game with him, it makes my day. It's really fun to be able to play with a model like that. So hopefully, I mean, the moral of this story is that hopefully you can find ways to, one, open up and actually look at these other monsters, not just for Storm of Magic, but for ways to include them into your own games, mm-hmm. to find ways to play them and, and enjoy the game in a new and different way. Mm-hmm. And maybe even, like, theme your army around something. You know, find a model that really just speaks to you and theme an army around it. Have fun just converting a fantasy army. All right, so out of all the monsters and the things we've kind of discussed here, what, in your opinion, is the king of monsters? Um, That's a hard one. How about you go first and let me think about it for a minute? Really? Really? You're going to back out of it like that? Well, the problem is I want to say the War Mammoth, but playing with the War Mammoth on the table, I can't honestly say that. I, I just can't because it's not true. I, I've played with it too many times and lost far too many wounds to back out of that conversation. 
I guess I'd have to default to the one that's the strongest in the current meta, which to me would be the Kadai Destroyer. It's the one that can go out and it can hold up an army by itself. And it's unbreakable, so you don't need to have any support for it. It's not going to be running away. And it really epitomizes my idea of a monster, which is something that literally would be so terrible that you might not want to fight it. You you are going to have to react to it. And, you know, to a certain extent, it causes you a, a trepidation and fear when you see it on the board figuring out how to deal with it if you were not prepared. So I guess I, I would probably have to say the Kadai for that reason. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and pick out the old Warhammer Fire Dragon from Forge World. Yeah. I have a, there's a certain little special place in my heart for dragons, and he was kind of the first of the big, bad boy, uber-sized based dragons. So, yeah, there's a special place in my heart, and someday I would like to include him in some work or project that I'm doing mm-hmm. in in a display board or as a a display piece somewhere at the very least. So yeah, that's that's my my personal king of dragons. He might not be the best of the monsters, he might not be the best figure, but he is in my mind just the coolest one and the the biggest king that could be possibly be. Well, if that's our criteria then I'm definitely going with Stompy. Even though he loses me games, I love that model. Like I said, he's the reason I got back into playing Warhammer again. And it's just, it, it really, to me, has so many cool design choices. And painting it up, there's so many little details that you never would imagine were there when you see it on the website. So I, I'm going to have to rescind the Destroyer because rules-wise, it's probably true. But as far as seeing that on the table, it's going to have to be the Mammoth. That's where that's where my heart pounds. That's where, uh-huh. of all these these cool monsters, that's definitely where where I would fall. So, but I don't have. I still to this day don't own a Forge World model. So we'll go from there. All right, sounds good. I would definitely be the Conzi without the most, the most Forge, Forge World models. models. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and we'll take another break here. And when we come back, more talk about Warhammer. All right. And we're back. All right. Well, you'll notice the missing Paul here, but I do have a new special guest, Scott Krager from Prism Gaming. Scott, how, how's it going? Going well. All right. Well, what can you tell us about yourself and Prism Gaming? Well, a little bit about me. My name is Scott Krieger. I'm from central Wisconsin, born and raised in the area. I've uh, been gaming since I was about 12. Started with a game called Battletech, which some of your fans may be familiar with. Uh, moved on to Space Hulk, then eventually 40K, Warhammer Fantasy, and anything else that requires dice and miniatures. <laughs> what are you playing in fantasy nowadays? 
I'm running a Vampire Counts army that I just finished building and having a lot of fun with it. Haven't been happy since they ruined my Wood Elves, but what can you do? <laughs> yeah, wood elves, wood elves still have a couple builds out there. Well, yeah, but I like my Vampire Counts, so I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> BC is pretty strong. Oh, very strong. I'm, I'm surprised how strong they are. All right. And and who's Prism Gaming now? I, I, this is this crazy company that Wisco Dice has been talking about for the last couple of months now since basically Gen Con. Prism Gaming is a company that was started by three Army vets that decided that we could make gaming aids for tabletop strategy, card games, whatever have you, that would enhance and improve your play, like whether you're playing Magic the Gathering or Warhammer Fantasy or whatever. You know, little things like Dice Towers or scorekeepers and stuff like that nature and and we uh we've made quite a few different ones that uh work with most of the different games that are very popular right now and we're moving on to doing uh our first game release by the end of the this year early next year and that will be our new game it's a golf game basically (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well i'm gonna be i'm gonna gonna be excited to check that out when it comes out um, there's going to be some facets where we incorporate fantasy and uh, sci-fi and stuff like that into it with uh, extensions on it, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we, we've seen thing, we've seen uh, miniatures games that have kind of emulated football and you know, yep. tabletop war games and a couple other things, but nothing quite on that line I've ever seen. That's one of the reasons why. I mean, I, I know a lot of people that enjoy golf, and why not just try to chew in on some of that? It, it seemed like it would be a fun idea. And, uh, you know, you always incorporate a little bit of fantasy violence with it, and it makes it even more fun, you know? (laughs) All right. Well, one of the big things I know Prism Gaming does is they have just this amazing paint line. (laughs) Is there there some kind of direction or or way that the paints are kind of manufactured and intended for use? I know there's this kind of thing like base paints, finish paints, washes... The base paints, well, let's if you if you want to run down on it, uh, the base paints are what you want to use when you start your model to get your base tones down and get the the feel of where you're going with the miniature as far as the qualities and and colors that you want to go with. The finished paints allow for you to do the layering without heaping up so much paint on your model that you're losing detail and and, and losing part of your sculpt in the, in the sense of the dye lines and stuff that you want to keep. So what we're trying to do is, is create a, a way to do that without having your paint dry out in your brush, which ruins your brushes. I definitely, we've been using these. I, I've been using your stuff. We're down the, down the street here, right down from Dugan Stealth Studio. Uh, Misty Mountain Games here sell, has, been, has had your stuff for a while. And I was yep. talking to the store manager there for a while, and he's like, oh, yeah, these guys are from Wisconsin and whatever. So I pick, started picking up the paints and got my first exposure. And I was, I got to say, you know, Games Workshop, they came out with their Citadel paints, the new line, and I certainly wasn't going to convert my, my paints now all over to this new system. And while, yeah, the new Citadel paints are fine, I found, hey, this is this local company. They make these just great paints. been using like the leather wash. I can't, I keep raving about it. I can't say enough. I'm, I'm really looking forward to. I, I didn't talk about the washes. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, the washes are pretty cool. A lot of people really like them. That is a recipe that we came up with a couple years ago. It was actually the lead in what made us want to do the paint line itself. The washes work as an army painter, as, as you probably already know. 
mm-hmm. but you can you can play with them in a way that they work like a traditional wash. You can cut them, do whatever you need to, and you can do a lot of the shading and, and extraneous work as far as details are concerned with very little effort or skill. That's one of the things uh, some of my novice painters that I hang out with that are trying to learn the tricks and trade of being a miniature painter. So they, they work out really well. We sat down and did uh, 100 Crimson Fist Space Marines in under an hour with uh, the Edema Blue Wash. It That's, was quite fun. That is exceptional. I mean, it's it's really, you just go with it. You hit you hit a model with a base paint, the kind of a whatever shade you roughly want to work with. You hit it with a wash. And then you could either touch it up with a little bit of the base paint or you could move into your finished paints and do those finished highlights. It's just, it seems like it's an exceptional kind of way to, and simple for somebody to go to the shelf and go, oh, okay, I get this to do this, I need this to do that, and I get that to do that. And I, all three of them kind of just take me through the whole kind of methodology of painting my model and in doing a model that turns out great for the tabletop and you don't have to spend hours getting it done. A lot, of, a lot of things people are doing with it is, is using it over their uh, straight white primer, too. And, and they're getting half of the work done that they needed to do to begin with. Oh, that's, yeah. It's... That's uh, a lot of the, the tricks people are pulling with it now, too. I've seen a dozen different things people are doing with it. and I find it, it to be amazing to me that the different ideas and concepts that people are taking with this and, and just taking a product that isn't like a lot of the paints that are out there and it's giving them new ways and new uh, ideas to make really cool stuff as far as their paint jobs is concerned. One of the things that I found that's really unique to the Prism line, and, and I, I've seen it like in the really old Citadel colors, which were before my time really as far as paints, and a couple other companies have kind of done it but never really done it, is the, the prismatic paints. Like for my Dark Elves, I used the metallic purple color for the armor, and right. nobody made that, so I had to mix it all. And, of course, when you're mixing paint, you get inconsistencies from every kind of almost every paint session that you do. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> here's a whole line of paints that just do what I want them to do right off the bat. So my, my group that we paint with on Thursday nights, we decided to do a Thousand Suns chapter, and we were using the pearlescent blue that is currently in our range. It wasn't evil enough for me. It wasn't representative of the Lord of Change or any of that. So we went into the lab and we mixed up some new paint. We're actually going to be producing fairly soon and dropping out on the rest of the world to those that want to carry it. It's purple, blue, green, prismatic paint. It's not a true prism paint, but you can see the different granulations when you you do an application with it. And it it looks really, really cool on uh, chaos. (laughs) <laughs> that sounds excellent. I, I'm excited. I'm, one of the things I've been kind of playing with, you know, we got the Warriors of Chaos are coming out here for fantasy sometime in the near future. And, they are. And <laughs> playing, playing with the idea of doing a, a new Warriors of Chaos army. So that sounds perfectly nurgly. Yeah, yeah. The, the way it works is it, it, granulations that we use are, are so fine that it allows a lot of play with as far as creating new pigmentations for paints for people and it's it's very cool stuff all right exceptional let's go ahead and and while i got you on let's go ahead and just chat a little bit about the other kind of products that say a, a war gamer is really interested that you that you got out there and for sure for uh, sure definitely the dice towers god i love those things these have been just they just keep th- your dice from bouncing off your buddy's miniatures and 
and mucking up their paint jobs, which is, after all, you know, kind of one right. of the catch twenty two is destructive weapons on a battlefield. And uh, one of the reasons I play I play a lot of Apocalypse, and I end up throwing a ton of dice when I play. And depending if I'm playing with my Imperial Guard army or whatever have you, it's it's a lot of dice. So we went in, uh, we used the acrylics, and we cut them on our laser right there in Central Wisconsin. Everybody that uses them loves them. <laughs> yep, oh, I, I we love them. We're looking to, forward to trying to get some Wisco Dice logoed ones here sometime soon. We work it out in the budget. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing them. <laughs> but uh, we, we, we did those. We're actually working on the mother of all dice towers right now, too. It's going to be a really, a really big dice tower. It's going to be fun. Awesome. As certainly, when you're throwing 30, 40, 50 dice, the DT20s that you got are just a little small, so getting something a little bit bigger will be really cool. About 150. Nice. <laughs> it's it's going to be a big one. And, of course, then you guys got, I mean, the wound counters have been great, too. I've always kind of like, yeah, I could convert up something, or a lot of companies come up with other wound counters, but I found that yours are just perfect. They're a great price point. The six shooters, yeah. I play a lot of Malifaux. I play a lot of Warhammer 40K and Fantasy, and I just I don't like chasing models with tokens. So we brainstormed on it. We came up with that design, and it seemed to work. Oh, and and I, for like, uh, I'm playing a bunch of Kings of War now, too, or I'm trying to, and you don't pull models off in Kings of War. You just track it with you track it with a counter, effectively, and that's what you modify leadership checks and in, in your command checks with. So, boom, those are just perfect counters. I can put one near a unit or, or use a, one of the larger ones that you have and have it track each one of my units, and it's just perfect. It's exceptional. I, re- I really do enjoy using those. Thank you, thank you. It's good to hear good things. <laughs> oh, you know, I, you know, some of the some of the things we've we've seen. You're like, hmm, how can I use that, or how can I work that into my game, and and how do I make make it work for me? And and there's a lot of things. It's like, oh, when you start thinking about it, all these accessories just make things work better on the tabletop. So, like uh, the tack ruler we came up with, it has the. Pre-measured distances are already incorporated in it, like Warhammer and and you know your steampunk based games. Oh yeah, I mean reaching the gravitate measure and messing around with that, everything is pre-measured. You just it just puts you moving that fast. We've knocked twenty to thirty-five minutes out of a game just by eliminating the ruler grabbing. We oh. we actually did a study over this this last summer to see how much time you knock out of your forty k game versus with or without, and it's it's surprising how much time you're you're spending monkeying around with a ruler, and it's it's. You know, that's what it's about. It's about getting the game in so you can get it on with it, you know? Oh, yeah. I'd rather play two or three games in the same time span. So right. that's anything that helps speed up gameplay. Sure, I mean, there's always that extra, like, oh, I've got to lug this extra stuff down in the game store. But once you get set up, like, on a, we get, you know, get down to the store at, like, say, 6 o'clock we usually start. Well, I can play, I can knock out two or three 1,500 or 2,000 point games of Warhammer in the four hours or so that are open by, you know, using these these tools to expedite my games and get the games so that I can focus and play the game rather than, oh, okay, got to get the tape measure out or, oh, worst thing, showing up the tournament and the tape measure breaks, well... No, I'm doomed. Well, I can't break this piece of plastic, really. It's just there. It's always set. I've got the measurements there. It's great. Yeah, that was one of the things that it was always bugging me when I played Fantasy is having to pull the tape measure out because, you know, having that little cut piece of acrylic 
expedites the game that much quicker and, and gets, you know, the combat underway faster. I don't know about you, but if you're if you're moving faster than your opponent can track, it throws his game off pretty well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's always there's always the art of psychology, of real psychology, to going to a Warhammer game or any game, miniatures game. You know that that level of intimidation, or you know, just playing quick puts somebody out of their element and gets them into your element, and gives you that extra little advantage in gameplay if you're looking for that competitive advantage. You know, he's not playing with uh, the tools that make him faster. That gives you more time to think about it. When you're expediting your moves, you've got him. You know. Oh, certainly. And and, and there's a, a couple of events out there for both like War Machine, the Privateer Press stuff, the Kings of War stuff. A lot of those are going to, you have X amount of time to complete your turn, or you have X amount of time to complete all of your turns in the game at a tournament. So the more time you have to actually think about your decisions and not have to worry about moving your models because it's all right there and you, you know, on, on the tool that you're using just is going to give you that competitive advantage in those events too. For sure. That's what the whole reason we were you know, behind making this a product that was going to be available to everybody. All right. So it sounds like we got a new game coming out sometime soon. We've oh, got... I just finalized the artwork yesterday, so we're good to go there. <laughs> Excellent. And we got some new paints that were coming out, and it's already a really good range. I mean, you've got, total, you've got how many colors now in the paint range? 72, I believe. So, and then you're expanding Five. it several more. <laughs> sure. So, um, we're also coming out with a new uh, basing uh, terrain flocking for snow. Excellent. But snow is always kind of a challenge for folks. Well, we were playing around with different things, and we wanted to do something a little more uh, hardy and versatile. So we found we found a good uh, base product to, to use to create it, and we're getting it finalized. You know, we got to go through the little things to make sure that it's uh, safe for everybody. And, and uh, we're, we're at that point with it where we're going to be able to go into production on it. It's going to be good. All right. And I can't think of anything else we kind of missed uh, as far as new things. Is there anything else... New or bright on the future forecast for Prism that you want to make sure our listeners hear? We're putting something together with a, a new store in Reedsburg. I don't know if you guys know where Reedsburg is. It's down near you in Madison there. Yep, I know where Reedsburg Actually, uh, we have a house up there. Okay. Good friend of mine opened Vanguard Games last Saturday. We helped him with uh, the setup and all that. And, and uh, he's open. He's ready to to start tournament play so anybody in that area there's a brand new place to to go hang your hat as far as gaming is concerned all right so go ahead if you're in the uh stocking their shelves a little bit soon too so sure and if you're so i guess if you're in the reedsburg dells um wisconsin dells area you could go over there and check them out yep yep tell bill that scott sent you (laughs) perfect all right well i want to I want to thank you a bunch here, Scott, for coming on the show and giving us a chat and putting up with the Skype difficulties. But, uh, you know, that's just always kind of the uh, amazing thing. And the Internet is is great but when it works. But when it goes kind of clunky, then, of course, you have, have those kind of things. But all in all, a great time, great interview. I really appreciate you, t- you taking the time for this. It's been a pleasure, Ben. Thank you for having me on the show. All right. Sounds good. So, you know, for our listeners out there, you want to make sure you check out prismgamer.com for all of the products. Uh, and if you don't have their products down at your local game store, make sure you poke and prod your uh, 
the owner there to get a hold of these guys and see what they can do to get their product in their store. Thanks a lot, Ben. Thank you. Are you tired of playing the same group of guys in your basement every week? Check out the WWHFB, Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. Check it out at WWHFB.com with regions in Madison, Milwaukee, Stevens, Point, and La Crosse. Anywhere in Wisconsin, you're going to find somebody to play. WWHFB.com. Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. I think it's time for... Conzi's Rant! Okay, so on today's edition of Conzi's Rant, I'm going to rant about all you people that haven't donated to ExtraLife.org. In particular, donated to me. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Because if you don't donate to Paul, that's fine. We know you don't like him anyways. Oh, hey. (laughs) But... But Conzi needs some some donations, and so you got to make sure that you go out. Uh, we got all the links up on our Wisco Dice website, right on the main page. You can catch the little post; it's right there. You got links to Paul's attempt or at trying to get some money. You got links to my attempt, which isn't just an attempt; it is a successful attempt. I've made my goal, <laughs> and not only have I made my goal, but I'm shooting to try to get to 200 bucks now. And I need your help. Come on, just a few bucks for the Conzies. All you got to do. It's all he's asking for. Just a couple bucks. If all of you guys, if every single one of our listeners gave us one dollar each, one dollar each. That's that's my challenge. Before October twentieth, every single one of you guys threw one dollar. Come on, one dollar to extra life. You can that you can take it off your taxes in the U.S. Come on, one dollar. That goes a long way to helping these kids get recovered from whatever happened to them. Wisconsin Children's Hospital is an amazing facility. They're a great place. I'm very honored to be able to do this for them, and I need your help to generate funds and raise money for those folks. Go Team Cranky. As I understand, we're closing in on five grand total as a team. The whole team needs it. I mean, it doesn't matter to me, really, in the end, who gets who gets the donation and who doesn't, just as long as... Uh, everybody's getting out there donating, but I really would. I really, it really would be cool to see those extra donations come in. I'm, I'm really proud and glad that I was able to do my part, but you know, I'd love to be able to do more. And this is your opportunity as the listeners to give back, not only to, and, and make a statement about what you're listening to and make a statement about the show, but to make a statement and show how good the Warhammer community is out there as a whole. Mm-hmm. I see it every time we go to every one of these charity tournaments. It just floors me how much money people are throwing out for things like raffle tickets, donating paper towels, these kind of things, whatever the, the different tournaments and events are trying to generate funds for. And this is no exception. It just floors me that we've done as much as we have. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I, I'm sure... We all can do just that much more. So get out your pocketbooks. Just a dollar is all we're at. All I'm asking for is just a buck out of you. I'm sure Paul has to ask for more because he hasn't even made his goal. But, <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. And, of course, if we both make our goal, if we both make our goal, which was just 100 bucks each, mm-hmm. nothing huge, just 100 bucks each, each, if we both make our goals, we will record us playing a game of Warhammer at our 23 23- one or 22 of us staying awake, mm-hmm. being tired and irritated Cranky. probably at that point. 
but more so laughing and silly and giddy too. So it should be interesting and, and kind of fun. But we're going to record that. We're going to, other than bleeping out expletives, we will release that as a full show. So it's going to be, you know, there, we don't we do not do, we haven't done a, a battle report from beginning to end yet. So it's one of those things that we've never done it before. Mm-hmm. And here we're going to do it at, at 21 hours. So there should be some just hilarity ensuing and we're gonna we want to be able to put that out there for you but we're not gonna do it if you guys don't help so just a buck each it's all i'm asking help a brother out man help the conzy out all right and that was conzy's rant how what are we going to try to shoot for we've got a couple weeks here before we record again so what mm-hmm. do we want to shoot for to try to do as our next major little efforts as hobby and gaming type goals i'm gonna work on getting my display board done for my ogres you're still working on that yep i am i had one and i worked on it and then it kind of fell apart so i decided to throw it away i'm just gonna go ahead and paint my extra realm of battle board up to match my army and make a couple of terrain pieces i think as well well so. keep it simple stupid so exactly so that's gonna be my hobby and gaming goal all right I guess my hobby and gaming goals is, I guess we got week three of the Escalation League coming up here. This mm-hmm. will release after that, but that's all just kind of demonstrating, teaching more hobby skills to newer players and, and more experienced players for me. But then going into week four, we're doing of this month, we're going to do Storm of Magic games. And as we've heard before, Konzi has a huge disdain for Storm of Magic. So yes, he does. I want to try to look at Storm of Magic again in a new light and try to try to find something of value in in those games that I'm going to play. Not that that's a real great hobby goal, and it's it's not, but it's it's kind of a gaming goal. I mean, on top of that, I mean, I've got. Tomb Kings, I want to get them painted. I want to get some more Tomb Kings painted. I'd really love to be able to be able to have chariots that I can put on the table. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily I say I'd be able to say I'm call them complete, but I'd like to have three chariots that I could put a unit of those on the table and call it. Yeah, that's at least most of the way there by the next show. All right, sounds like a plan. So hopefully we'll and I'm gonna keep plugging pictures of those on the site, so on the Facebook site and then the Twitter feed. So. Let me know if that's working for you, if you guys like that stuff. I'm getting a few likes on those and some comments. So I think it's a great way for me to share what I'm doing. Try to let me know. I'd really appreciate it. All right. Well, Ben, what did we talk about today? Stuff. I think we talked about Bugmans. Yeah. We talked about stuff like that. And then I think we talked about the King of the Monsters. Yeah. We talked about that stuff, too. All right. And that's, that's all I got. Mm, that's all you got? And did we talk about anything else? I think that was all that stuff, but yeah. of course we want to go ahead and make sure that folks know how to get a hold of us, get oh, a hold yeah. of where they can get the show, download the show from, if they like listening to what we're talking about now. Of course, make sure you put our feed in your iTunes or other RSS type feeder listener to type app. So like Blackberry Podcast or Citrus Mart Radio? Yep, you can find us in their markets. I know I've been using just as a... Uh, kind of a shout out to an app I've been using on my Android phone, the Podkicker app, and I can find us right in the listing on Podkicker. It was amazing, and I don't know where they're deriving their feeds from, but yeah, it was it was great. So yeah, definitely wherever you can try to catch us, put us in your 
in your feeder. We really appreciate it. Leave feedback. We definitely catch it. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw another gentleman left a, a very nice comment on the U.S. iTunes feed for us. That was really cool to be able to read that this week and go, hey, well, that's awesome. We got another a little bit of feedback, and it was positive and definitely reinforces that we're doing the right thing. So awesome. Yeah, we like we always love hearing about hearing stuff like that, good or bad. We love we love hearing feedback on the show. Exactly. Uh, uh, of course, then you can catch us on our website. That's WiscoDice.com. What, uh, what was that? WiscoDice.com? WiscoDice.com. It's like I'm not even sure what our yeah. website is. What, what's going on? Or you can check us out on the forum as well. Yep, you can check our forums. I've been posting my experiences each game of playing with the Tomb Kings. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's an army that everybody's kind of written off as terrible, and and we'll see what the Conzi ends up thinking of it. I mean, I'm usually pretty harsh on things, so so far I'm actually a little upbeat about the Tomb Kings. So it's been it's been really enjoyable. Nice. Or you can like us on Facebook, or join the Facebook group. Yep. We have a page, the Facebook page, that definitely still have that contest going. We are down to 10 likes to go. Ooh. As of, I think today, we I saw we were 10 likes short from our 100 goal. And I keep getting asked about that. Every tournament I go to, usually one or two people ask me, are you guys still doing that 100 likes contest? Yeah, we are still doing it. We are serious about getting that 100 likes. That's going to be a monumental goal for us. We're going to have to like champagne or scotch or yeah, something will, when we get that. Like, There's going to be a party. That would be really cool if we could make our 100 likes goal before the before October 20th. That way, that way we could do that. Our our recording of the on the twenty first hour, we can make our our goal for the, uh, the extra life, uh, extra life, and then our twenty first hour Warhammer game could turn into not only a twenty first hour Warhammer game, but a little mini party celebration for the extra life and making our hundred likes on Facebook. So that'd be pretty come sweet. on, folks. Get your friends to listen to us and like us on fa- our Facebook page. And if you're not sure, if you're confused because we have a couple of different things on Facebook, let us know and we'll point you in the right direction. All right. Or you can find us on Twitter at Wisco Dice or at Dugan Brideax, the more interesting one. Oh yeah, the one is posted like you know. 400 times versus I've, 4, I've like 600 po- I got like 650 posts. I got like 4,500 posts. Yeah, well, I don't sit there at work all day and tweet. Or you can find us at Google Plus, WiscoDice at gmail.com. Where I am the only one that posts. Yeah, because I can't register. my. Why wouldn't you be able to register? My UW alumni account is my Google account, and it won't let me register it's, for Google it's Plus. All through our, it's all through our joint email account at hosts at WiscoDice.com. Oh, this is how little I know about computers, FYI. <laughs> this has been demonstrated over and over again. So, yeah, we have a joint email account, hosts at wiscodice.com. You can send all feedback, questions. Um, if you've got ideas or thoughts about new show, show topics that you'd like us to talk about, that's definitely the place to hit us up on. We both read the mail, emails we get in the box, even though Paul doesn't understand how to use Google+. Plus. <laughs> um, he does read those emails as well as I do, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you definitely if you want to sponsor a show, if you want to go ahead and send in a shout out, we of course still take shout outs. Yeah, um, we haven't had a shout out sponsor for a few shows here, but we do take shout out sponsors. Just ten dollars a show. You can go ahead and email into hosts at wiscodice dot com, and that will get you the information you need to, to be able to send us PayPal donation for your shout out if you need. Um, otherwise, you can go ahead and of course hit up me at at bcone at wiscodice dot com if you just have feedback or comment that you don't want comments that you don't need Paul seeing, which is probably all of it, but Or you could email me at pwagner at wiscodice dot com. You can tell me about how Ben sucks. Yeah, there's a lot of crickets going on in his mailbox though. Uh yeah, I'm sure. 
<laughs> I've never gotten a single email about you. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> All right. So, well, so we'll go ahead and wrap things up here. And thanks for listening. See you sometime in the future. Exactly, Mundo. Yes, 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 Master Conzi. The future is where it's at. Yes, yes, yes. I'm working up a pit. <laughs> Paul, you look so disinterested. Uh, the fan doesn't add anything to my experience. Sorry. I don't know why. He's like uh, the fan. Maybe, I, I, I don't know. I, I got nothing. Like usual. Yeah, maybe. All right. Peace out, folks. Take care. Bye. What? Yeah. Okay, so, big, this is kind of almost embarrassing, or not.